0: There's so many I things love. we've got anniversaries this year
1: like uh, The Matrix
0: mm. and
2: is that American Beauty as well?
0: American Beauty, yeah I wasn't going to mention yeah. that one.
2: Uh, it's actually a bit interesting if you look through a lot of these films that are celebrating their 20 year anniversary and see what ones you can still watch guilt free. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Anytime that big wine sign company logo comes up at the start of a film you're like oh, probably yeah, shouldn't. Yeah!
1: In the morning. You're going to need a bigger morning. I feel the need. The
0: need for Rose? When we're going, we don't need. Rose. Snakes. why do it right have to be snakes? I'm
2: Spartacus!
1: I'm Batman. I'm your father. Yeah, it's fine. I don't care.
2: It's fine. I won't work here anyway. You want me to talk? Yeah, I'll talk. You don't want me to talk. I got dirt. on all of y'all? I'll start with myself. My wife left me a year and a half ago. There. Laugh it up. I slept in
1: my car. Three weeks. Jerry saw it. Isn't that right, Jerry? Yeah, I brought you breakfast.
2: Thank you so much for doing that, Jerry. Uh-huh. I been a lot back then. Welcome everybody to the second episode of the Movie Scramble podcast. I just like to thank you all for watching, or oh sorry, listening to our first episode. Um, you could have watched it as well, be fair. You could have watched it on YouTube, but you wouldn't have seen much apart from a big logo. And I do not mean anything untoward. I don't want it to get cancelled too soon. Joining me as ever is Mary. Hello. And John. Hiya. How are you doing? How are you doing today, both of you?
0: Great. I'm almost away on holiday, so nothing matters at the moment to me.
1: <laughs> That's not that, good. John. <laughs> uh, yeah, good. Yep. I've got a couple of weeks before I'm away on holiday, so I'm not quite in the mood yet, but thanks, Mary.
0: I mean, obviously, this matters. I should clarify. This matters very much.
2: Yes, this obviously does matter. And uh, loyal listeners, all <laughs> a full episode also matter.
0: <laughs> all two of you have come back for episode two. Yeah,
2: I like to find both of you. <laughs> <laughs> You can bring some friends next time. That'd be great. <laughs> well, if you've been following us on social media, you'll see we're planning and discussing um, Thunder Road* by director Jim Cummins, who also stars in the film. For those of you listening that haven't seen the film or even heard of it, we're n- going to try and skirt around spoilers and not say too much. It's basically about a, a cop in Texas who, after death of his mother, seems to be like the final straw in his mental breakdown, and he's struggling with his mental health as he deals with his divorce, uh, the concerns with his job, and just his life, and it's the the title, Thunder Road, comes from the kind of songs Bruce Springsteen sings about, and he says this in the film, but the moment it's not been seen, but Bruce Springsteen sings about these kind of towns where there's nothing happening, there's nowhere to go, and it's about escaping, and he kind of encapsulates this, is somebody that's going nowhere in his life and nothing is going right for him. But there doesn't seem to be any light at the the tunnel for him either. This film totally passed me by at the Glasgow Film Festival. I know, John, you've seen it there. I did, yes. Yeah, and Mary, you've just seen it recently as well.
0: Yeah, unfortunately it clashed with a couple of other things that I wanted to see at the festival and it lost out. And now that I've watched it, I'm really gutted that I chose other films over Thunder <laughs> Road. <laughs>
2: John, you went and seen it at the festival, so you had the benefit of seeing it by an audience. What was it like? How, how, well, first off, did you enjoy the film and what was your experience of it?
1: I did. I really enjoyed the film. It was one of these ones that, I, I don't know about yourselves, if you're when you're at film festivals, it was one that I just chose to fill in a space. I had a couple of hours in between two films that I'd, I'd really wanted to see and I didn't really know very much about it, so uh, it was just this, almost like a blind buy. But it was it was a pretty intense experience watching it with an audience because everybody was kind of, you could feel the audience cringing. It was really kind of awkward watching it. I know I've, I've said that to you before uh, when we've been talking about it offline that it was an awkward film to watch. And it's it reminded me of the, the likes of The Office where uh, oh. you really didn't know where to look. It was a great, great film, but... It was it was difficult to watch. It really was.
0: Like So there was only two of us watching this in the house, obviously. But I, as I said to you guys earlier, I just wanted to eat my own face. I had no idea what to do with myself. It was a film that just started and threw you right in of the middle of this guy's sort of nervous breakdown. And I think that's what I liked about it because, you know, mental health can get very messy and it can get very messy publicly. And this film totally threw you in at that end of things when it started and there is an opening sequence that is very very cringy but not in a way that you're like this is a bad film in a way that you're like oh god I need to help this guy straight away and I think that's testament to Jim Cummings acting and directing that it just you're absorbed by it straight away
2: When I went to watch it the other day I think it was Sunday and I asked you is it a film I can watch with Hangover? No. And you (laughs) said no and I was like okay and after watching the opening scene I went yeah that would have ended me (laughs)
0: Yeah, I mean there's a few times during the film where I was like I actually don't know if I want to hug this man or laugh at what's happening to him but not laughing in a cruel way laughing in a sort of nervous oh my god where is this going type of way and I was really surprised by all the range of emotions that I felt going through this because again I hadn't heard too much about it other than John you'd obviously said you know brace yourself for the opening scene but the sort of range of emotions that it took you through I was really surprised
2: yeah, I think that's interesting as well, you said the kind of the range of emotions. Was, like, the opening scene, if you tacked it onto the end, it would have actually been a summary of the entire film, But you mm-hmm. feel. And as you're saying, John, as well, it was very uncomfortable. I didn't know if I was supposed to laugh at certain points. Like, I didn't that know was the kind awful. of beauty of it, wasn't it? You mm-hmm. didn't
1: really know how you were supposed to mm-hmm. feel. Um, I, I thought that um, the opening scene uh, really, kind of defined the rest. Of, like I said, defined the rest of the film, and it did it in such a way. It was really cleverly done. They did it in uh, like a single take, from start to finish. It was about twelve minutes long, mm-hmm. and the camera just focused on uh, the main guy, and focused on Jim, mm-hmm. and then it sort of followed him up the aisle while he was standing there, and closed in on him, and then it was a brief movement in the camera to his wife. Uh, during one of his, his mini episodes, when in between, like talking, and it just followed him the whole time for that scene, and you couldn't look away from it. There wasn't any cuts or anything to sort of break the tension, and it just built and built and built, and it was just oh, it was awful, mm. a bit awful in a very watchable way as well. Um, I don't know if you did. You get the chance to watch the the short film that it came from. I did not. No. The difference between the film and the short film is the short film has uh, the music for the Springsteen track, Thunder Road, in it. In the opening scene when he's setting up and he sets up the wee CD player, Mm -hmm. I think it's his daughter's CD player, which is, it says so much about him as well, the fact that he's he's bringing this thing to a funeral and it's this wee pink uh, CD player and he can't get it working, but in the short film he gets it working. And he starts doing all the actions that he's obviously uh, choreographed for thunder road but it's actually better in the uh, the feature film because it isn't there but he still goes through the actions and he, he he's waving his hand saying "Well, and this is about where the harmonica comes in and all this and it and it's it's actually more sort of poignant without the music because you, you actually see him breaking down while he's doing this dance and it's just oh
0: yeah, I think the music would have almost kind of rationalized it a little bit, whereas without the music it just was part of this kind of eulogy that he was trying to give that wasn't going quite right, and then the CD player didn't work, and the dance moves were just wildly inappropriate for a know, like the whole thing was just like one big car crash after another. What I really liked about the the character of Jim was that during that eulogy, he kept, you know, about to burst into tears and then going, Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then he would try and sort of calm himself down and continue in a normal voice. And this happened the whole way through the film. So he every time he f- could feel himself getting really emotional, he'd be like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and then keep going with whatever it was he was trying to say. And I think that's something that we all do as humans when we get too upset, especially men in particular, you know, they don't want to be seen as getting too emotional or too upset. And I like those neat little touches that were all the way throughout the film, but as you guys have both said, they were present in that opening moment and that set up the whole trait of behaviours for the rest of it.
2: I can come back to what I was saying about I didn't know where to laugh. There was genuinely comedic moments in it.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely.
2: But mixed in with these like harrowing, like emotional gut punches. And even if you did find the scene funny, it didn't give you time to laugh.
0: Yeah. No, the- absolutely not, yeah the pacing was such that, and there's a scene where he's trying to learn the like clapping hands game. I don't know what you would call it, like a playground game for his daughter and stuff like that. And even that's really tense because of the speed at which they're playing this game. So what's supposed to be a sort of enjoyable father-daughter bonding moment is actually really fraught with tension because it's so quick and he's so desperate to get it right because nothing else is right between him and his daughter. So even sort of moments like that that should be kind of sweet are actually really, really tense. And you're right, there's nothing for you to relax into or sort of get a laugh with. It's just, it's one thing after another.
1: It it made it out that uh, he was a bit of a lost soul, to be honest, because uh, with the loss of his mother, she obviously had quite a controlling influence on him and he really didn't know what to do with himself. And I think he found sort of some sort of solace and comfort in the fact that uh, he could still do his job. And when you saw him doing his job at first, he was very good at it when they uh, it was the the drunk in the street and you could see he was professional he was calm he knew what he was doing and then obviously the, he got something thrown at him and that was it. it all went to hell after that but it seemed to be this one sort of grounding factor in his his life now that he had nothing else going for him i'm making this sound to be a really bad <laughs> film, like a really horrible film but it was such an enjoyable
0: movie yeah it was one of those ones as soon as i watched it i was like i could do that all over again even though i had spent the past hour and a half going oh this is making me feel really cringy or you know getting upset or crying or whatever i just i kind of wanted to do it all over again
2: yeah i had this kind of unbearable tension from start to finish but because jim was such a no sorry jim's <laughs> jim's the actor uh was that was the character's name again sorry it's, it's jim yeah, it's jim was it is jim wasn't it yeah yeah. Right. yeah yeah but jim was such a likable character You know, it was such a likable performance that, Mm. as you're saying, Mary, you didn't—you just want to go and hug him and say it's going to be okay. And because of that, although there was a sort of really like boiling point tension during some scenes, you think how's this going to go? This could go either way. You couldn't help but be drawn to him, and you kind of just willed things to go right for him.
0: Oh, absolutely. Everyone sort of roots for the underdog, don't they? But this was a kind of underdog story told in a sort of different way. And as I was saying earlier, as you know, mental health or situations like that can get really messy really quickly. And sometimes when the threads start to come undone, like, you know, marriage, children, job, parents, all that sort of thing, it's it's almost like that scene in uh, Falling Down with Michael Douglas. It's just like that one last straw that sort of tips you over the edge. And But I felt like the character of Jim had had a million last straws and he was still trying to really hold it together but in a way that was not healthy for him or for anyone else around him. But a really really endearing character and this is a kind of silly note but Jim Cummings has really lovely canine teeth they're like really pointy and I really loved when he smiled I felt like the smile was genuine and warm and rich and it felt like a not a movie smile but an actual human smile if that makes sense. Um, so I love those moments as well which is really cheesy but there you go.
1: I actually find the smiling quite um Quite touching at times because he was smiling and grimacing at the same time. It's like you said, uh, like men normally do. They don't show emotions in the same way. So he was trying to smile and trying not to cry at the same time. And you got, as you said, a good flash of his almost vampiric.
0: Teeth. Yeah, they're great.
1: <laughs> Apparently, he wasn't really interested in making films. But sort of behind the camera, in front of the camera, he was a producer. And oh. a lot of uh, films and he, i think he's maybe done some tv stuff as well but he, he'd done quite a lot of uh short films and as sort of line producer for it so when he had the idea for the the short film it was relatively straightforward for him to put it together because he knew a lot of people and you could mm-hmm. uh, call in a lot of favors to get it done but <laughs> one of the, the stories from it was that uh, they they never got the music clearance for Thunder Road.
0: See, I assumed that's why that wasn't in the film yeah. as well. Although no, did he didn't
1: get it, for, it. He didn't get it for the short film. Ah, right. uh, when he did that, so he showed the film to his his mum and dad, and his mum and dad are both lawyers, and the first thing they said was, "You know, you're totally screwed here because uh, <laughs> you haven't got the rights to this, and there's no way to like do another fi- another song or anything underneath it because it's a one take." Uh, uh, shoot so he had to write a nice letter to Bruce Springsteen and ask for permission it's, you know I kind of I don't have any money here but you know can you let me use it so that's what they got permission for the short film but I'm assuming that it would probably be too much for the feature but that's yeah. the can me I suppose.
2: Yeah as we said this, this film may sound one way of describing it you just need to see it for yourself it's not an easy watch but it's not necessarily a difficult watch either and I think it's safe to say we can all agree that this one should be recommended. Absolutely.
0: Oh yeah, category Like I said, I'm ready to go again. I'm ready to put myself through that again.
2: My mother was an extremely charitable woman. She loved Bruce Brink's tea. She used to sing Thunder Road to me when I was going to sleep. Everything go okay? Everything went normal. It starts out and there's a harmonica. As we had touched on with Thunder Road, that was Jim Cummins' first movie. Yep. You know, I mean and mm-hmm. what a what a first film it was. As you mentioned as well, John, it was actually based on a short film he did. And that's something have yeah. before, but I'd like to talk about other films uh by directors of the first feature, their first directorial debut. I like you to fight it out to go first.
0: <laughs> um, John, Age Before Beauty.
2: Okay, <laughs> thanks very much
1: uh, My first pick is 12 Angry Men Sydney Oh, oh
0: you've blown it out of the park on your first choice
1: Yep, sorry about that um, It's Surprisingly, it is Sydney Lumet's first film And it's one of these films that is just pretty much perfect in every way Single location, limited cast And it's just a fantastic watch from start to finish It's one of these things that you just, if you read it on the page, you would think, yeah, that was okay. But just the way that it was brought to life by the director and the production and everything just, uh, just made it such a special film. I mean, right from the very, the very start, before there's actually any dialogue, you get a sense of exactly what the personalities of these people are by uh, their demeanor, the way they hold themselves, and. Uh, quite crucially, the way they dress as well. You've got Henry Fonda, who wears a white suit. So he must be the good guy. You, you have Martin Balsam, who is slightly overweight. He's older. He looks a bit ragged. He just doesn't know what to do himself. You've got Jack Klugman, who's got the open-neck shirt and the hat tilted back and everything. It's just And it says so much about these characters before they actually speak word. And you say, well, this is what this guy's going to be like and how the stance he's going to take. And it all fits together perfectly. And then the dialogue kicks in,
2: and it's just amazing. Such a good film. you sure, know I haven't seen it? <laughs> what? <laughs> I haven't seen it. I know of it. <laughs> I know what the film, is, I haven't seen it. It's always in the list, but.
0: It's got but... a kind of sweaty tension about it. I like it. I'm torn between two that I actually can't pick.
2: <sighs> I know for a fact you'll have one that I have.
0: Okay, um, I want you
2: to get it all done with.
0: Uh, right. I'm torn. Like I've got a list of like maybe like ten or whatever, and I'm torn between two that are like my standouts. But I'm going to go with Roger Eggers' The Witch.
2: Oh, that's an interesting one.
0: Mm. Again, it totally bypassed me at the cinema. I didn't. I didn't even see a marketing campaign around it at all. It was one of those ones where I picked it up in FOP and was like, yeah, this sounds kind of good. And actually, when I started watching it, I don't know if you guys know the story. It's obviously set you know early English settlers in America and there's a lot of religious hysteria and there's a family that live in the sort of edge of a forest, classic um, horror trope. But I would say that's where the tropes end. This is a film that to this day scares the absolute shite out of me. Like, <laughs> But again it's, but it's not a horror film where there's all this blood and gore and there's jump scares every five minutes. But obviously, as the film progresses and there's more and more sort of mysterious, kind of witchy things happening, you're like, "Where is this going? Where is this? Where is this film taking me?" I'm not sure, but it made me feel really nervous the whole way through. And then, spoilers: they introduce the character of Black Philip, who my boyfriend does impressions of because he knows that I won't sleep for like a week at a time when because he thinks this is really funny. But it's it's very unsettling, really creepy, and it. Actually, It was one of those films where I, obviously the credits rolled and I was like I can never watch that again. I feel sick. I was actually shaking at the end of it and there was just something about it that really got under my skin and I was like oh I didn't like that as a, an experience but at the same time I absolutely loved the film. Anna Taylor-Joy is, is great as the lead and the woman whose name absolutely escapes me the Scottish actress that was in Red Road oh, Kate, Kate. Kate, Kate Dickey think, yeah. so, so she's in it as well and it's 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 got this lovely sort of, you know, crucible esque Puritan, you know, really plain and sort of, you know, all the religious mania going on. But it's just, it was something that really got under my skin and I, I'll never be able to watch it again because of Black Philip.
2: Very interesting choice. I didn't realise that, that was the director's first film on either of them, actually. What I thought you were going to pick and I know it's on your list is Tyrannosaur.
0: Oh, no way! It was on my list. Are you going to do it?
2: I'm going to. Yes.
0: I love Paddy Constantine. I love him.
2: Tyrannosaur by Paddy Constantine. I I love Paddy Constantine as an actor. I think he's absolutely fantastic. And when I heard he was making a film, I thought, yeah, I quite fancy watching this. And I was not emotionally prepared (laughs) for it.
0: It's a ringer. It absolutely ruins you.
2: Oh, that opening scene. For those who haven't seen it, I'm going to get a little spoiler here. It's basically about an alcoholic. Played by oh what's the guy's name again? Scottish guy. Peter Millen. It's played by it's an alcoholic by Peter Millen. No, I'm gonna start again now That's why is it, that's, this is why this isn't life. <laughs> the film stars Peter Millen, who plays a horrific, horrible man who's also an alcoholic. He has no redeeming qualities whatsoever. Until he befriends.
0: Olivia Coleman.
2: That's Christina Newton
0: That's yeah. Greece. Definitely not that. <laughs> It's definitely not that kind of film.
2: Friends <laughs> friend of a Coleman, who's a kind of church-going, housewife, really sweet, really nice. They form a very unlikely friendship, and it's just a harrowing, uncomfortable watch. But it does go somewhere really nice in its own way. And that opening scene, though, when he kicks the dog to death, um, you know, people that walked out of the cinema during that. And I couldn't blame them.
0: I actually considered turning it off after seeing that, but I'm glad I Persevered. Yeah an absolutely fantastic film
2: not an easy watch not at all a very rewarding one though uh, Eddie Marsden is in it as well and it's just everybody in it's fantastic and the performances an outstanding uh, debut for a director it's just just watch it.
0: And his films continue to be Journeyman was like I think top three for me uh, last year his films are incredible. Yeah it was great
1: John, you know what do we have? Um I have uh, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, which is Anna Lily Amapur's debut from 2015. Don't know if you guys have seen this one. It's I've recorded it on the box. <laughs>
0: yeah, it was on uh, film four a while ago, so it's on my <laughs>
1: setup three years year recorded. Again, it's got sort of parallels with Thunder Road in that it came from a short film of the same name and obviously they used that for the, to uh, gain the funding for this one. It's basically set in a, a city called Bad City, which is a fictional city in Iran. Uh, it's short in uh, sort of glorious black and white, it looks superb, and it's a story of a girl who is a vampire and she goes out on the hunt. It's very stylized, it's, it's reminiscent sort of uh, sort of early Jim Jarmusch films. And uh, it's got a wonderful soundtrack to it as well. And it's just it's just lovingly paced. It's not really fast or anything. It gives you time to sort of soak in all of the details that are, are sort of being presented to you. And it's just such a good film. It was such a good debut, which you completely ruined by doing The Bad Batch uh, about a year later, which was awful in my, in my uh, considered opinion. Yeah.
0: I think that's the thing, though. There is the pressure because obviously, like one of the most kind of famous sort of Recent directorial debuts is Jordan Peele's Get Out. And then people went in to see Us looking for basically a replica, I think, of of Get Out. And it because it's not the same type of film and there isn't the same sort of level of allegory, I don't think it fared as well in people's opinions.
2: I thought Get Out was fantastic. I thought Us was good, but I had some issues with it, especially the, the end. Not so much a twist,
0: but mm-hmm. the end. I'm going to go with a film which, ironically, I hated all of the characters in it. But I'm going to go with Alex Garland's Ex Machina.
2: Oh, I love that film.
0: So here's the thing. I feel really conflicted because whilst I can appreciate it's a really bloody clever film, I hated all of the characters in it. So it was a real struggle for me because I still think about it now, which is the sign of a good film, right? Because it was, what, 2015 that was out? But actually all of the characters were... Awful, like Oscar Isaac's character, a scumbag. Donald Gleason's character, not that nice, and obviously the um, character of the the robot or the you know machine, whatever, absolute dick. And yet I watched it, just going, but I can't stop watching this because it's again, it was a film where I was like, where is this going? And I like films like that that kind of keep me on the hook right until the end. Um, I didn't really like the ending in the sense that just it, I just wanted them all to just perish. They were just horrible people, but again, a really interesting film. And I don't know if he's followed up with anything since. He well, did
1: I... um, the one. Oh, it was. It was just. It was just out maybe about six months ago. It was one of these Netflix originals. Uh, I cannot remember the name of it, but it was actually a pretty good film. It was a sort of a an all female lead cast who go into. There's something. Annihilation.
0: Annihilation. Annihilation.
1: Annihilation. That's the one. Yeah. Oh, I, I didn't like
0: that. that one. I'm one of the few dissenting voices. I didn't like that.
1: Okay. Well, that was a good choice, Mary. Actually, it was, I thought that was an excellent movie. But you're right, yeah. There were no uh, nice characters. In fact, the probably the most uh, human character was the robot in
2: it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's yeah. what freaked me out because I'm worried that you know robots are taking over the world. Oh,
2: that's true. <laughs> right, I keep getting uh, so you get promoted adverts on Twitter. Yeah. I keep getting ones a bit AI. And it's because, questions like, uh, "Do you trust AI? Do you think AI will take over the world? Do you think um, we should talk about the ethics of AI?" And but do you know what the do
0: double bluff is here? It'll be a bot that's putting the response. <laughs> oh
2: oh yeah, I, I'm, I'm aware of that. I'm also aware of uh, what's the bot's intentions. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, so semi.
2: semi. Yep, I'm going to go with a heavy hitter. I'm going to go with Quentin Tarantino and Reservoir Dogs
0: oh we do have the same list
2: <laughs> i just thought about that one as well yeah, yeah it was one of the first ones uh, i had thought of to the point i had to double check just to make sure I, it hadn't made something sneakily before it you know because what what a fantastic film i mean you could make a good argument that it's his best film let alone a great directorial debut everything about the film from start to finish, it's entirely stylish, it's fantastic performances, it's so iconic in its shots to its character design, it was made relatively cheap, still manages to star Harry to tell, and like I say it just lives in pop culture, yes, from, what from, it is amazing, from its soundtrack to that infamous scene with Mr Blonde and the cop tied to the chair to stuck in the middle of you to just how the characters look.
0: Yeah, it really is one of these iconic films that, like, people still quote it. You know, they reference the mystic the different colors, all that sort of thing, and they, you know, that scene is, you know, every time I hear that song, I'm like, oh, it's a four dogs.
2: Do you know uh, the colors thing is taken from another film? No. The taken of Pelham One Two Three. Oh. I did know that, yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. That's a very good film as well, actually. A very good film, yeah. The remake, not so much, but... <laughs> no, no. Um, the original with um, the guy for joy, Robert Shaw.
1: It's, it's and really uh, cool. Walter Matthau, I think, isn't it? I think okay. it is, yeah. It's yeah. Seen it, I oh,
2: think,
0: yeah. I love his wee face. Also, I should say to everyone that's listening to this is that we're terrible with names. Like As a collective, we can never remember actors' names, directors' names, whatever, so we usually just say thing and then give clues to each other until one of us gets it.
2: Because that's what you get with the Movie Scramble podcast. You don't get a polished, rehearsed product nah. that has no heart. You get <laughs> off-the-cuff genuine film content. <laughs> Sorry. about dogs. I mean, like just mentioned there the the colours for the names were taken from Pelham One, Two, Three. A lot of the very infamous scenes from it were from a Japanese. I think it was a Japanese film called City on Fire. Tarantino is known for being a bit of a movie magpie, but there is no denying that the film is pure Tarantino.
0: You know? Yeah. Yeah. I never yeah. And everything. Sorry, when you go no, movie. I was just going to say, I never think of him as a movie magpie. I always think of somebody who, in each piece that he creates, is another love letter to cinema. I think he just loves cinema.
2: Hmm. So that's a bit, that's a, a bit more of a complimentary put, I suppose.
0: <laughs> He's things.
2: Maybe? Yeah, I don't have a problem with uh, the sort of the
1: the movie magpie title because uh, so many directors uh, do exactly the same thing. You've only got to look at somebody like Brian de Palma and his love of Hitchcock, mm-hmm. uh, like real, <laughs> some of the some of the stuff is kind of shot for shot, uh, remakes of uh, Hitchcock scenes, and there's countless others as well, so, you know, the fact that he publicises it so much, and he says, yeah, I've got influences, and this is my influence here, and he, he usually names it, and he talks about it. Uh, so that people will actually go and seek out the original stuff. I mean, when he was doing, like, Kill Bill, it was all the the Shaw Brothers stuff he was sort of promoting, and that put an awful lot of people who weren't into it, like, totally onto that sort of, like, martial arts 1970s-style stuff, and it's all very stylized and, like, uh, primary colours and everything, and you can see the influence he took from it. But, yeah, aye, fair play to him, you know? He knows what he's doing. There's plenty of people who... uh, say they're influenced by stuff but they just make rubbish. Content is just
2: uh, a, a remake if you like without being particularly good Yeah, I mean there's an old quote that if a director does something, if a director steals something, it's a homage if a writer steals something, it's plagiarism Like <laughs> that So John, what else have you got on your list? What's your third and final?
1: My final one uh, again, for seems to be a theme that I've gone for black and white films uh, my final one is uh, not just uh, a debut, but it was the only directorial outing for Charles Lawton, Night of the Hunter, oh, cool. uh, from 1955. It's, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen this one. It's a, it's, it's, it's a bit of a classic. It's a film noir story. Um, it's uh, a widow of a, a bank robber. Uh, she's got two children and uh, the bank robber before he dies uh, gives ten thousand dollars to the kids and says hide this, don't tell anybody where it is and uh, don't even tell your mum and the the bank robber is obviously put put in jail and he shares the cell with this guy uh, who turns out to be this con man and it's uh, played by Robert Mitchum and he then finds the widow uh, sort of inveigles himself with her and tries to get, into the, to get in with all the family, but he's pretending to be a, a pastor, a priest, um, and he's got love and hate tattooed in his knuckles and he's always quoting the good book and everything.
0: As all he's good creepy. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, and he's creepy as hell. He's really, really creepy, and it's probably the best Robert Mitchum performance. And uh, it's one that is regarded as a classic, although it was a flop when it came out. It just didn't do any business, and they get really bad write-ups. And it was only kind of rediscovered. It's one of these ones that was rediscovered through uh, sort of rep cinema, and uh, then then television. And people were saying, well, you know, "Why did Charles Lawton not do more of this sort of stuff?" But no, it was sort of one and done for him. He didn't want to do any more after that because of the criticism he got. And it's just fantastic.
0: It is amazing.
1: Yeah, there's a scene in it where the the kids are trying to get away from the preacher, and uh, they go on a boat, and they're going down the river. And you can, it's all beautifully lit. It's all very noirish, uh, but it kind of takes influences from sort of French films of the time as well. And you hear uh, like Robert Mitchum singing and all this, and it's just oh, it's wonderful. Such a good movie.
0: Okay, I'm going to go for. The main seem to be more modern, um, but I'm going to go for a film that um, I've, I felt a real emotional connection with, um, which is Greta Gerwig's *Lady Bird*. So, you know, cheesy. Like teenage girl cliche here but you know any female that's gone through high school and has maybe had your usual teenage strife with your mother because you want to wear a certain thing or you want to you know think you think at 16 that you know everything and you're going to go out and conquer the world and your mum's like you know I'm 40 listen to me because you think that you know you're going to stroll out of school into a job that's going to pay you to have this New York lifestyle but here's what reality looks like so I watched this film on the plane on the way back from Vancouver last year and it's really embarrassing to sob big snottery tears on a plane full of people but I just loved this film so much and Saoirse Ronan is incredible as she is in everything, um, you know, in, in the lead part yeah, as Lady Bird but just I, I felt seen, I felt like oh teenage girl life is awkward for everyone um and it's it is it's it's really shit and it's really hard to try and find your way in the world especially when you know you're getting so many mixed messages from peers and social media or magazines or your parents or you know teachers and it's just about kind of how you sort of find your own voice without sounding like that's sorry that's really made me want to vomit i'm sorry i just said that But it, I, I just loved it. And yeah, there was a plane full of people watching me like, you know, really sob and try and pull my shit back together because I just felt so touched by it. I, I loved it. And it's this kind of like, everything's this kind of nice warm, sort of almost sepia-tinged colour, like as if, you know, when you look back on your youth, it's through sort of rose-tinted glasses as it were. But I just I just loved it. It was fantastic.
1: Have you seen it, John? Yeah. I have, yeah. I was just going to mention the, the scene where they're, uh, they're, out dress shopping for a prom dress, and they're basically at each other's throats. And then suddenly, oh, what do you think of this dress? Yeah, yeah, that's not bad. And then they go back to fighting with each other. So they know when to fight and when to stop. It's such, and um, I've I've kind of seen that dynamic as well. Obviously, in my own household, and uh, obviously, I grew up with two sisters. So, um, I. I I could recognise it very well and uh, the dynamic with the dad as well, that was kind of again, that's almost going back to sort of Jim Cummins stuff, Uh, he played very very much a a background role in her life and uh, he was, I think he was out of work and things like that as well wasn't he at the time, yeah and uh, she was doing things like you know, when you take me to school, drop me a block away from the school and all this sort of stuff and Oh, yeah, took it really badly, you know.
0: My dad would wear his slippers when he was dropping me off anywhere, and I was like, if you dared out the car. <laughs>
1: Did his feet not slip in the pedals? Did he have special slippers with uh, grips on them?
0: Oh God, don't tell my dad such a thing exists because you know he's going to go out and buy them. No, but like classic old man tartan baffies. And ironically, I remember seeing it in a program called Eight Simple Rules, which you see on the Disney Channel and and the nickname for John Ritter's character was Slipper Dad, because he used to do that. And I was like, maybe it's just a dad thing. They just all love wearing their slippers while they're driving.
2: (laughs) I was tempted to right. go with Bradley Cooper A Star Is Born just to annoy Mary. But I'm
0: not. I'm not biting.
2: I f- think I am going to go with Neil Blomkamp and District Nine.
0: Yes, what a choice! Oh,
2: good choice. Yeah, uh, I. I think that's why I mean, one of the most visually impressive films of I was going to say the last ten years, but I may just be cutting it fine by saying ten years. Mm. Yeah, I think are, Yeah, I think it was 2009. It came out visually impressive film, incredible message to it. Not um, subtle in the slightest in its themes. <laughs> uh, for those that aren't aware of it, it's basically set in South Africa. It's post-apartheid. It's South Africans discriminate against the alien race that find them. They find themselves coexisting with, and it's got similar like themes and stuff to uh, older films of like Alien Nation. But it's just such a gut punch of a movie. It's absolutely fantastic. It looks amazing. It uh, wasn't done for a big budget either, if I recall. No, I think it was fairly modest.
1: I think he's he's a bit of an effects wizard, isn't he? So mm-hmm. um, he was able to do them quite uh, economically. But, yeah, it, was, it, it looked a lot more
2: expensive than it actually cost to make. So yeah. very, very impressive, yeah. It's got a breakthrough a break performance, a breakout performance, sorry, by Charlton Copley, and he's just incredible in it. The government official to discriminate, imagine he's a, he's a Tory, but he's there to kind of like um, keep the aliens in line and stuff and make their life hell, but big starts to become some effective to him when he begins to turn into one. Spoilers. Spoilers. If you've not seen the film, it's 10 years old.
0: He Wait, had, for goodness um, sake.
2: You know, I'm not telling you the end. But unfortunately, it was kind of one of those films that you always thought was going to get a sequel. It never did, and I'm glad it didn't.
0: I don't think it needed a sequel. I think it, it was, didn't. yeah, enough on its own. And if you didn't walk around for the next, like, three weeks saying prawns in a South African accent, there was something <laughs> wrong with him. Exactly. I'm not going to attempt it, although it is a, a household favourite. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: what well, do you I, think of his
2: career after that point, though? I enjoyed Elysium. I thought the story was better than the film, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I loved Chappie up until the
0: end. All right. Which which one's Elysium again? I think I have Matt seen Damon. it. No, I'm getting that mixed up with the Will Smith, Jaden Smith vehicle.
2: Oh, that's that after, oh, earth. Earth. after earth. Sorry, yeah. No.
0: yeah. that was Guff. That's,
2: that's, that's incredible bad. No, I, I, like I said, I really enjoyed the uh, Chappie. It's not I didn't like the ending. It was just up until the ending. It was like a five-star movie for me. I was absolutely blown away by it. Uh, it's just something with the ending, isn't it?
1: But... Yeah, I thought uh, Hugh Jackman was very good in it. And uh, was it Dev Patel? Yeah. Yeah, both. Yeah, they right.
0: but... were
1: both excellent in it, yeah.
0: What you think you jack when you automatically think Wolverine and you forget that he's done really cool stuff like um The Prestige or yeah. Chappie and what's it called? Prisoners. I think you kinda of forget the, the other ones.
2: There's something else he was in recently that I really enjoyed.
0: Greatest showman.
2: I, what that's also another <laughs> film by Fucking Director. That's it. Yeah. Hmm. That's been a phenomenon in itself.
0: Yeah, again, a total sleeper hit that, you know, nobody thought was going to do well at the box office and I'm still getting emails inviting me to sing-alongs. you <laughs> <Keep> going. <laughs> I mean, my singing voice is absolutely horrendous, but do I love belting it out? Absolutely.
1: <laughs> it was pretty amazing because the film came out around about Christmas time. It was and, uh, yep. Yeah, yeah, and it was still in cinemas in May when the DVD came out. Yep. Because they had, like, sing-along uh, screenings and things like that. And it just, it was around for such a long time and it, it did really good business. So I was kind of half expecting The Greatest Showman 2 to <laughs> pop it head up at some point. You know, they would, I... would have found some way to do it, but...
0: I do think they're threatening that.
1: Oh dear. That
2: okay? I'm fine. I've never been better
0: in my life. See me wrestle an alligator, help the alligator. We do have to quickly, super quickly mention who you would get in a celebrity fight. Oh that's right. Allah Justin Bieber for some fucking weird reason challenging Tom Cruise. Like if you're gonna pick any movie star, maybe not pick the guy who routinely kicks people's ass and runs for miles on screen. Like pick somebody else. Pick somebody you think you could take on. But so yeah, he's he's challenged um, Tom Cruise to a fight. So there is a Twitter phenomenon just now where you have to pick a celebrity who's thirty one years older than you and challenge them to a fight.
2: Who would you pick?
0: Well, I have two that I'm torn between. Um, one of whom is Vigo Mortensen. He is 60. And then Sean Busted Bean. <laughs> I, I definitely don't think I stand my chances against any of them. Although Sean Bean is prone to an early death. So, you know.
2: That's true. Yeah.
1: Uh, so you reckon if you stay long enough, he'll just die of natural causes or something? Yeah,
0: I just think the stamina <laughs> would be there. Like if I just like, get <laughs> back up, I might stand my chances against Sean Bean. Yeah.
2: John, who's on your list?
1: Well, uh, again, at a couple. Um, because of my advanced age, I would have an advantage over anybody that I actually <laughs> <laughs> I would face. So, uh, the first one I think I would stand a chance against is Judy Dench.
0: How dare you?
1: <laughs> well, she's short and she's obviously, I mean, it's like fighting your granny, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> which I think might be all right. So, I think I would stand a chance against her fifty fifty thing, but the other one was uh, Sophie Sophia Loren oh, who's God. also who's eighty-four as well. Now I think she would beat the crap out of me. <laughs> <laughs> and um somehow I think I might enjoy it as well, which <laughs> says more about me than anything else. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, one of those play fights that turns into something else. Very good, John. Very Well,
1: yeah.
2: yeah. As long as it's filmed for posterity, that's the main thing. <laughs> yeah, I was quite yeah. fortunate with my list. My list seemed to be kind of like um, agent action stars. You know, William um, um, Neeson, I don't think I'm going to have much chance against.
0: He's got massive thumbs. He's got massive thumbs. He would gouge your eyes out.
2: Uh, yeah, probably just in encase in, in my head in. But also, this one I actually do think would have a chance with. Um, although you will laugh, Steven Seagal.
0: Oh no, I'm not laughing. Oh, at you... Yeah, he could. Oh, you could totally take him. Yeah,
2: Steven Seagal. You know, I think especially now. Although I'd be worried about his uh, Russian friends. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I hope if you were going to fight him, he'd have the pleat in. I feel like that would that would make the fight if he had the plea
2: in for like... long. I'll tell you that much. I'd rip out his head. <laughs> yeah. Beat him to it. Beat him with it. I think you could probably distract him with a cheeseburger or something and you would be right in there. <laughs> That's just something else I was wanted to add on the list, but it was just too sad. If I win, Mr. T. Oh. Oh
0: no, you can't fight Mr. In the same way that John can't fight Judy Dent, you can't fight Mr. T. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I reckon Judy's got some game in her. I reckon she could take John. She would just climb him like <laughs> a <dream. laughs>
2: Again, I, I don't see a problem with that at all. <laughs> yeah, I, I just don't, I really don't want what effect Mr. T. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thanks everybody for joining us. Um, if you can think a celebrity forty-one years older than yourself that you could be up, please let us, let us know at Facebook or Movie Scramble or on Twitter, where you can also follow us. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review if you're enjoying it. If you don't enjoy it, leave a review anyway because we're a bit masochistic that way until next time <laughs> thank you thanks thanks honey honey i i'm really not going to be good at this kind of stuff yeah you want me to leave the light on in the hallway for you it's fine all right i'm going to bed honey good night i love you